Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Pixels, a show where we cover the news from the gaming industry. We talk about video games. Imagine that. What a novel and interesting concept. I think it has a bright future. My name is Patrick Beja, and I'm very glad to be welcoming to the show Benji, uh, whose last name is Sales, I believe. At least that's his uh, handle everywhere. And a video games analyst whose uh, uh, live chat... I've been enjoying very much in the past few weeks uh, the the YouTube live, live chat where you discuss every week, like twice or three times a week, you do a Q&A and you give your insight. It's fascinating. Welcome to the show, Benji. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited to be here. And thanks for giving a, uh, a shout out to the live chats. They're really fun. They're, you know, honestly, one of my favorite things that I do get to talk about you know, the video game industry and get to interact with people. I really enjoy them. So thanks for that shout out. Yeah, you haven't done one this week. So I almost uh, didn't, or maybe you did one Monday, but you often have a couple of uh, shows a week. No, it's been four or five days and I'm like refreshing the YouTube page. Where is it? <laughs> so can you yeah, tell yeah, us a little bit it. about yourself for the audience to get a bit of context? Yeah, sure. So I've been talking about the video game industry and, and analyzing the video game industry and even working in the, the retail side of the industry in some manner for, for a really long time. You know, it's been really over a decade since I really first started going down this path. You know, it started for me um, even just as a hobbyist early on, you know, just on video game forums. And, and I remember way back on GameTrailers.com and VG Charts, mm. and, and I was really passionate about video game sales. So, you know, that's where it kind of started for me was was down there and, and just talking with people and learning as much as I can. And you know, then I joined the retail side of the industry. I worked for uh, you know a company many people are familiar with, GameStop, for a really long time. I worked there for many years, um, so I got a good look at the the retail side of the industry, how that all worked. Um, and then uh, I started growing and getting more and more of a following. And, and then I switched over to starting. You know, I thought I'd talk about this on a bigger platform like Twitter and YouTube. And everything's kind of just grown from there. You know, I'm no longer with GameStop. I, I work for a different company now. But, uh, yeah, it's all kind of grown even to the point now where, you know, publishers and stuff reach out to me and, and ask my opinion on some stuff. So it's uh, it's really exciting. Very cool. Yeah, I'm always glad when I get knowledgeable people on the show that can tell me about uh, the things I don't understand and explain th things to me. So <laughs> thanks for being on. Um, yeah, you're definitely one of the voices in uh, games analysis that I look uh, up to, uh, along with uh, 
Daniel Ahmad, friend of the show, I'm going to name drop a couple of people, friend of the show, Daniel <laughs> Ahmad and others. Um, so thanks yeah, for being great. on. And uh, so actually, that gives me an opportunity to ask you, we're going to be talking about the uh, summer events and potential date for the PlayStation 5 event that might be coming like very soon. Um, mm. The states of play for states plural for Ghost of Tsushima and Last of Us Part 2, a bunch of other things like I tried Iron Man VR, Minecraft Dungeons, a bunch of other uh, topics. But the first thing I wanted to ask you was about numbers, uh, since that's your thing. And I'm really interested yeah. in numbers as well. We got NPD mm -hmm. numbers for April, um, and I, I, I thought I'd ask, what uh, are your takeaways? In general, NPD are very US-centric, but uh, I'm sure you follow stuff from um, a little bit wider uh, 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 geography as well, from the rest of the world to an extent. So we all guess that the pandemic has actually been pretty benef benefic, benefic to... Um, Uh, the video games industry, and I guess the NPD numbers confirm that for April, but also since the beginning of the year. What's your, I guess, a few takeaways or, or learnings from those numbers and what you've seen over the past three or four months? Yeah, it's really been kind of crazy to see. You know, it's funny because whenever this year first started, you know, so many of the, the people I respect that, that follow sales that are other analysts and such, you know, I, I reach out and I talk to as many people as I can all the time that, that I really respect. And, and the common thought was that 2020 was really going to be a year of declines for the gaming industry. You know, we all expected the switch to continue to do great throughout the year. You know, it's still a relatively young console, but we all thought, you know, PlayStation, Xbox, they've just been on the market for so long. Long, you know, we knew there was new consoles coming at the end of the year. So we all just thought, hey, you know, 2020, it's going to be a bit of a rough one, but at least we'll have new consoles coming. And whenever January numbers came out, you know, it kind of reflected that, you know, you were seeing those big drops and, and we were like, okay, yep, this is going, you know, kind of how mm. we all expected it was going to go. Then like in the sudden, sense, there would be, there would be the last few releases that would do well, but overall people are quieting down on the, the big yeah, consoles. Yeah, yes. It, It's still a little bit of a surprise to me because that's when you have the biggest install base towards the end of the life cycle. But I guess the excitement isn't as big or. Well, software, what we, you know, many of us still thought was going to be really big. It was really mm. hardware, okay, know, like I the see. actual console sales. Yeah, that's what we were really expecting to slow. You know, like you said, the install base is huge. So plenty of reason to be optimistic about software, but really like the hardware side of things. You know, we were expecting big drops, you know, 50% drops year over year for most months, you know, just really, really big declines on hardware sales. Um, and January starts that way. And then it, it's crazy. The <laughs> pandemic hits and March was like our first glimpse that things were getting crazy. You know, you see the switch just do unbelievable numbers. You know, I'm not going to talk about the, uh, you know, the actual NDA number, you know, I can't put that out there. Um, But you just see the switch in March sell unbelievably huge. We're talking record-setting performances, bigger sales in the U.S. than its launch month. I mean, just crazy mm -hmm. performance in March. And, you know, of course, part of that's Animal Crossing, which was also huge. Um, but to do those kinds of numbers was was truly shocking. You know, we, you can't just chalk that up to just the game. So, you know, at first you're kind of like, is that a bit of an outlier? You know, is that just kind of a one-off? Then April numbers come in, and somehow April's even crazier than March. Really? For the April, Switch or for it, everything? 
for, for everything. You know, Switch on a weekly basis, average of sales was actually very similar to March for April. April had one week less tracking. So the actual, you know, number, like the, the total number wasn't quite as impressive as March was, but it was still basically selling just as fast. But what made April so crazy was Switch was just gigantic again, just an unbelievably huge month. And then you saw PlayStation and Xbox also break records as well. So we had three consoles all sell more units in April than any console this generation had sold in April. So wow. it was just an yeah, it was an amazing, amazing month. And there's no doubt, you know, the pandemic is really driving the video game industry. Mm-hmm. So many industries are suffering right now um, from the pandemic, but video games are one that have actually gotten a huge boost. Yeah, it's it's interesting when you say uh, bigger numbers than launch uh, month. Uh, my mind immediately goes to um, The Witcher Three, where the release of the TV show sparked interest in the in the game and people were saying oh there's bigger numbers than than launch month for concurrent numbers on the game and i thought yeah it's a big thing but obviously there are so many more uh people who own the game that if you look at the concurrent number player of players even though it's a big thing with the arrival of the tv show it's not necessarily incredibly surprising here we're Mm. talking about of course prices have come down a little bit except for the switch i guess um yeah but prices have come down but still you would think that by now most people who want a console would have bought one and yet with the the pandemic it it made more than the pent-up demand and excitement of a launch month for a for a console uh that's that is crazy so it's really been an incredible i guess sadly or ironically, an opportunity for these uh, manufacturers. Yeah, and I think the way you finished that is actually perfect because it's actually been somewhat difficult to talk about in the right context because in a way, you know, if you're someone that that's passionate about sales and numbers, like it's really exciting to see this. But then, like you said, it's almost in a sad way, you know, because you know what's driving it Mm. is, you know, this crisis the world's going through. So it's been a bit of a difficult balance. You want to be excited, you know, to see the the video game industry so vibrant, to see it doing so well. But at the same time, you know, you have to balance that with with being, you know, empathy. So it's definitely been a bit of a challenge to find that right balance, you know, of being respectful, but still Mm. being really excited. All right. Um, there's one uh, number I also wanted to talk about, and feel free to to say anything else if you you know. I there are other takeaways, but uh, the Take Two results revealed that GTA V has sold 130 million copies to date, and I went to the Wikipedia uh, list of best-selling games ever, and and. You know, I've I've known that GTA V was doing a lot and was doing very well, but I guess I didn't realize until I had it in front of my eyes. It's like the fourth best-selling game in the history of the world. The first one being a little bit above, but the 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 fifth one or third one. Maybe I should look at the page again. But um, is sold. 30 millions less. So it's an incredible achievement. And it's also not a bundled game, a game that's bundled with uh, um, a console. Uh, so that also, the, the first couple are that. I think it's Tetris and some Super Mario. Um, and also 
PUBG is like right behind. Like we all think that PUBG is not doing so well with the success of Fortnite, which of course is free to play, so it doesn't really uh, track in the same manner. But PUBG is also doing so well. Um, I don't know. The, the 130 million is such a mind-blowing number that it stuck with me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it is a shocking number. You know, it, it's absolutely crazy. And the crazy thing is, is it's that high and it's not slowing down. You know, it's mm. still to go back to, you know, April NPD, just to kind of reference that again for just a second. You know, it was still the fifth best selling game of the month in April. And that is with, you know, the game having released years and years and years ago. The legs on Grand Theft Auto V are, are almost like something we've never witnessed. The only game I can really compare it to, you know, in, in terms of like recent memory that has legs like that would be Minecraft. You know, that's the only game that, that really comes to mind. There's other ones that are above it on the bestsellers list, like you mentioned, like, you know, Tetris for one. But Tetris has had so many releases, you know, for decades across right. so many platforms. Um, the only game really like recent memory that that has had these just long tail end sales like Grand Theft Auto is Minecraft. So if you're up in Minecraft territory, you know, that's that's a, that's an amazing <laughs> area to be in. Um, and, and, and Minecraft and yeah. is. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was, I was just saying, yeah, it's crazy. 130 million already, and it's going to go much, much higher. We're nowhere near the end of this. You know, one thing I had mentioned on Twitter, it shipped 10 million units in the last three months alone. So in just the <laughs> last three months, it sold 10 million copies. So, you know, we, we still have a long way to go until we see the mm. end of this. It's going to go way over 150 million. Okay, so I'm going to ask you another question about GTA 5, but just for the sake of uh, uh, precision, uh, on the Wikipedia list of best-selling games, which, of course, is, you know, maybe not entirely accurate, but Minecraft is number one with 200 million, but Minecraft, first of all, is a couple of years older than GTA 5, and second of all, it's like the generational game that every kid gets. It's like Lego, so yeah. it's almost in a category of its own. GTA mm -hmm. 5 is in second place, 130 million. Tetris, which, as you said, includes many different versions. The mobile version is the one that's put as the, 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 the main one here, but I'm sure they count a lot, is 100 million. Wii Sport is fifth with 80 million. Then P, uh, uh, PUBG, 60 million. So it's, it's uh, sixth, which is, uh, or fifth, which is still crazy. Um, but... My question about GTA 5, I think a couple of years ago, we were already saying, you know, GTA 5 is crazy. It's on the strength of uh, GTA Online, and that's why they do it. But even two, three years ago, it was still crazy, and we didn't think it was a going to continue being crazy. I think we've gotten used to GTA 5 being this incredible behemoth of a, a sales beast, and we're not as surprised as we should be by the fact that it's still selling like this. So I guess my question to you is this. Do you think we might see a port to the next-gen consoles for <laughs> GTA V so that they sell, again, more of it? You know, I, I actually really think they're going to, you know, right? which is, is kind of wild, thinking that it's going to be on three generations of consoles, you know, because it very first came out on the, the 360 and the PS3. I think you have to. You know, I think, like you said, we've all kind of grown a bit numb to how crazy these units are. Like you said, I, I think 
even the most optimistic of us would have thought it would have slowed down by now, but it's Mm. just not slowing down at all. Like, I mean, just not at all. So, I mean, I think if you're, you're rockstar, I think you have to port it to next gen consoles. Cause it's almost like, you know, if you don't, it's almost like you're just throwing money away because it's going <laughs> to sell. So I, I don't see why you wouldn't. Right. Well, I guess uh, we'll see what happens, but, and, and that's on the strength of, of, on, of GTA online alone. Right. I, I don't play it very much, so I'm not sure what the deal is, but I guess that's what it is, right? It's GTA Online. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the vast driver. You know, don't get me wrong. Definitely, a lot of people do still play Rockstar games for their single player. You know, you're still talking, you know, tens of millions of people that do like that single player. But yeah, it's not. It's nowhere near the numbers that are playing Grand Theft Auto Online. That's really what's pushing Mm. these sales. It's just it's so hugely popular. I don't think even Rockstar whenever they were making GTA Online for 5, they probably didn't even have any idea how big it would be. Right. And, and the single player, I'm guessing most people have played it already, most people who are interested. So I'm sure yeah. some sales are people who are getting around to it. But um, And uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 sold a measly 31 million units. So um, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right, let's talk. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about the summer's events. As I mentioned, uh, by my count, there are about 15 events uh, going to happen, live streaming events happening between now and the end of August. And I count the end of August because Gamescom announced that uh, they're going to obviously not be having a a physical show, um, but they will be having three days of live streaming, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, there are a number of, uh, of other events. BlizzCon is not happening, by the way, and that should happen as an online thing early next year, they said, which is a little bit surprising to me. You'd think they have the expertise. Uh, and by the way, disclaimer, I used to work for Blizzard, so uh, I, I don't know anything about this thing, but a long time ago, I used to work for the company. But um, you'd think they have everything in place, but I guess I'm wondering if there isn't a tiny little bit of, you know, what we want to announce. We can announce that other uh, announcement parties anyway. So we'll just, if we don't have anything, it's not anything big. We can delay it to the end, the, the beginning of next year. It fit maybe their schedule a little bit better than having to announce something big in uh, early November uh, when they usually do um, BlizzCon. Uh, Then there's uh, Square Enix is going to show Marvel's Avengers on June 24th. Very excited about that one because I love the Avengers. Uh, And a bunch of other things like smaller things, uh, the new game Plus uh, things from thing from Japan is happening June 23rd. Um, there's a, a lot of things. And obviously the biggest one of them is the PlayStation 5 presentation, which the latest rumors from um, a friend of the show, he's been on the show a couple of times, but Jason Trier, uh, June 3rd is what he says. And he's not the only one. There are a couple of other big um, uh, high profile journalists who are saying their sources are pretty confident that it's going to be happening in less than a week. I guess Sony doesn't have to announce stuff, um, you know, super (laughs) early. But if it's happening next Wednesday, we're recording this on Thursday, you'd think they'd have announced it already, but apparently not. I, I... 
I guess I was going to say they have to announce it today or tomorrow on Friday, but it's not like if they announce it on Monday, people are going to go, oh, I'm not going to watch it, right? <laughs> Everyone is going to jump on yeah. it. Um, so I guess a couple of questions. Uh, first of all, how likely do you think it is that we're going to see that PS5 presentation on June 3rd, next Wednesday? And do you think, it's a little bit of a wider question, do you think this is, as many have speculated, this is the new normal now and E3 might not come back at all uh, next year, or I mean, they're going to do an attempt, I'm sure, next year, but that might be the last mm. one. Um, yeah, so two questions about the June 3rd and then E3 in general. Yeah, um, I think June 3rd is is pretty much locked in. You know, like you said, Jason Schreier's reporting this. Uh, I'm a big fan of Jason. I think he's an excellent reporter. You know, I think he really does his research. And, and if he's saying June 3rd, you know, I'm I'm definitely on board with that. You know, he's someone I, I definitely trust for this kind of thing. He has a very good track record. Um, you know, Jeff Grubb has also been saying, you know, that it was going to be June 4th and now it, you know, he said it moved and it looks like it only moved like a day to like June 3rd. So I, I think we can pencil that in as, as probably being the date, whenever you have two, you know, people that, that are reporting that, that are pretty trustworthy, you know, I think that's very, very likely. Mm. But by the way, why do you think the date would move from June 4th to June 3rd? Like, that's such a weird... Was there a board meeting somewhere at Sony headquarters where they're like, Thursdays? Are you crazy? We don't do Thursdays. Like, what? why would they move it, move it earlier by one day? I guess we'll never know, but it's just so strange as a, as a shift. I have no info on this. You know, I uh, I saw a new rumor that's rolling around. I have no idea if this is true, but supposedly this is actually the third date that Sony has set for this. Mm. So it sounds like it's just like internally, at least. Um, again, I, I don't know if that's true, but that is what's being reported. Yeah. Um, so but I like, don't by, know. Why just, by one day? Like if you're yeah, going to do it before, yeah. anyway, like, I don't know. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I totally get it. Yeah. <laughs> And so, yeah, I am surprised they haven't announced it, though. I am surprised right. by that. You know, I, I would think, you know, as a total guess, I think they announced this by Friday, you know, at the latest, just so people mm. have the weekend to, to really get excited and ramp up. But like you said, I, I mean, it's the PlayStation 5. If Sony just announced it on Monday, everyone's showing up anyways. Um, but I'm guessing they announce it maybe maybe tomorrow um, and, and let the weekend, you know, kind of build the hype up for them. Yeah, I think they have a, a smaller uh, uh, path to go to get to uh, uh, the big excitement. Obviously, all of the specialized press is going to be all over it. All of the gaming communities yep. are going to be super excited. There is, for these kinds of announcements, a certain measure of generalized, general press, general media that does have to get their gears working a little bit more for mm -hmm. these kinds of things. But at this state, you know, in this day and age, uh, every company in the world understand every media company in the world will cover the announcement of the PlayStation 5. So there's less than there would have been for the last generation. And also, you don't need to book travel and go anywhere. So you're just mm -hmm. um, <laughs> getting a journalist to sit down in front of their screen and <laughs> report on it. So um, yep. I wonder if they've sent people to you know to to give someone with hazmat suits stand by <laughs> you know they have a package with a PlayStation 5 dev kit to get people to give it a try probably not but uh 
I don't know. Anyway, uh, yeah, and yeah, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> it would be it would be cool if we could hear from journalists, you know, who would get their hands on on the console and on the experiences mm -hmm. they would have because that would be a, a first. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, the other question is about E3. This is many people have said. Uh, this is probably forcing the hands of companies to give it a try and do the thing online and not have to pay millions of dollars to be at E3 physically. <laughs> I think there's still value for that, especially for mid-tier developers, but it might yeah. be that they, they don't do it. Um, what do mm. you think? Yeah, you know, it's a fascinating question. It really, really is. You know, I'm of kind of two minds on it. You know, on the one hand, like you said, it doing these digital events saves companies just tons of money you know it is not cheap to go and exhibit at e3 you know first of all paying for the sh the the floor space and then you know having to fly in huge teams of employees to be working there and prepare all of your your marketing you know it's a giant expense so on the one hand you know you are saving tons and tons and tons of money uh, uh, from being there on the other hand you know, there is something to be said about just like the general excitement that that the group that B3 brings, you know, there's that statement, you know, or saying, I should say, a rising tide lifts all boats, you know, and mm. E3 gets so much visibility because it's such a big event that that the argument can be made, you know, maybe a few things get lost in the shuffle, but so many eyes are on E3 that it helps lift everyone up. You know, it's it's hard to say. I think that once this summer's over, you know, once we, we go through this run of all these events, I think we're going to have a pretty firm idea on, on if E3 is, is you know, kind of dead, kind of over, at least as how we traditionally think about it, or if maybe you will see it return. I, I think publishers even themselves are kind of unsure. I think I, this is kind of like a test run. You know, we're forced into this, so companies kind of have to go this way. And my read on the situation, at least from you know even a couple of people I've talked to, it's it's all kind of just a test. They're just kind of seeing how it's going to go. Um, I will say, if it's a big hit, you know, if every, if all these individual events are doing huge numbers and they don't feel like they're losing any viewership, then yeah, you know, it could kind of be the the end of E3 as we know it, just because the amount of money you save. But but maybe if they feel that they just aren't getting quite the attention they're used to, then then maybe you do see it come back. Mm -hmm. I think it's still kind of an open question. Right. And I guess there are a couple of categories of, of things that happen at E3 um, that might be different for different companies. As we mentioned, you know, obviously Sony announcing PlayStation 5, everyone's going to show up and they weren't going to be at E3 anyway, although they were going to be yeah. in that time frame. Uh, Square Enix announcing Marvel's Avengers, people are going to show up to see that and report on it. But there were a number, there are a number of things, smaller developers, even not necessarily indies, mm -hmm. but smaller developers that benefit, I think, double A developers that benefit from the excitement of everyone being hyped at the same time there's the um yeah. the wholesome direct 2020 which just presents wholesome uh indie games it happened two <laughs> days ago on may 26 no one really reported i'm, I'm sure some people did but it, it didn't make a big splash i can guarantee you if that thing had happened in a two hours dead spot between live streams by two bigger developers, I'm sure it wouldn't have gotten a little bit more, you know, in the middle of the E3 ramp up week, it would have gotten a little bit more um, coverage. So there's yeah, that on one hand. 
Right. Uh, thank you. I love it when people agree with me. So uh, keep doing that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think the other thing is the business uh, aspect of it. Um, I don't know if you know, but IFA is doing something interesting. The um, uh, Consumer uh, Goods Convention trade show in Berlin, in Berlin, they're doing a uh, four floor spaces event of a thousand people that were that are invite only so they're still dividing they, they will have four thousand people and getting people um there with a limit of a thousand people which is currently in germany it's like five thousand the the highest one they handled things well in germany but mm -hmm. um but i think that is it takes care of the business end of thing it's not necessarily con as much Conf uh, uh, consumer facing maybe there are going to be journalists there as well but um, there is still value for that and and people companies are finding ways of still extracting that or giving those opportunities for networking meeting people making deals which is a big part of e3 as well so absolutely yeah i i, I wouldn't be surprised if it still exists but i think you're right i i kind of want to have the answer now but you're right we we don't no, we're going to have to wait and see what happens with this season um, to make any kind of draw any kind of conclusion. But um, yeah, yeah, and I think I think like what you said there too is is very true about you know networking and things like that. You know, E three has kind of evolved to where you know now you also see huge crowds of of just regular you know you know just the regular crowd coming in as well, but. You know, it's always been a spot for really all of the the media to get together, all of developers, publishers. You know, it's it's there's something to be said of value, like you said, for that networking of of meeting people, of forming deals. You know, there's there's deals that get made on the show floor. You know, it really does happen. There are people, mm -hmm. you know, with with smaller games that find their publisher at E3. So I do think it has value. It's just a question, you know. Is it as big as we've always known it? Is it is it smaller than it used to be? Yeah, you know, it's tough to say. Yeah, and if they do a smaller, tiny event with a you know thousand or two thousand invited people, the exclusivity might get a draw from you know journalists and bloggers and be like, oh, I want to be there, but I can't. But <laughs> then you can't charge millions of dollars to a publisher for having yeah. floor space, gigantic you know uh, uh, stands. So it's not the same thing but um yeah all right last money question i talked about this last episode a little bit but um what do you think about the prediction by uh, michael patchter that the uh, uh, xbox is going to be microsoft is going to be using their gigantic stack of cash to subsidize <laughs> xbox series x prices to the point that they would want to sell the couple of, you know, two, three, four, five first millions of consoles at a price that would be ultra competitive of 400 bucks. That was his prediction. He's been very wrong many times before, but the argument can't really be dismissed out of hand, as I was saying last time, because they do have a lot of money and installing their, um, their console in homes is very important for the future. Um, still, it would be like, I think they're going to sell everything anyway. And they, they're not a charity either. So it's not like they want to be giving money <laughs> away. So, but I wonder, what do you think? Is it plausible? Is it realistic? I, uh, 
you know, here's one thing that's definitely true in regards to all that. Both Sony and Microsoft are clearly very, very afraid to talk about price before the other. I think we can mm. kind of definitely confirm that there is a major standoff happening between those two right now. You know, <laughs> any comments that come out, anytime any reporter asks them anything, you, you get these super roundabout answers. They are clearly trying to avoid at all costs talking about price. In fact, I don't even think you're going to get a price at this uh, PlayStation 5 event that's rumored for June really? 3rd. I'd be shocked. Yeah, I'd be shocked if Sony give the price there. I really don't think it's going to happen. Do we um, get a date or not even a date? Ooh, that's a good question. Ooh, that's a good question. Date, <laughs> maybe. I, I would say date is more likely than price. I just okay. still think they're holding out. Um, in regards to, you know, is Microsoft willing to undercut them? You know, I think uh, I think it's definitely possible. 400 seems kind of crazy to me when you look at how powerful the Series X is and the specs in it. You know, currently right now, my expectation, the thing that I've been telling people is, is I'm expecting both PS5 and Series X to be 499 US dollars. That's just kind of what I'm expecting. I, I love it if they come in less. But I think they're actually both going to be 500, maybe 450 at the cheapest. Mm. Um, there is definitely, though, a standoff game going on there. I, I think that uh, my guess, though, is Microsoft's going to announce price first before Sony just because their marketing cycle seems to be ahead of Sony's. You know, whenever you look at, you know, Microsoft showed the box first, you know, they showed their console before Sony did. When you look at, you know, the specs, Microsoft was openly revealing a lot of the specs before Sony. So their marketing cycle to me just seems a bit ahead of pace of what PlayStation's is. So as a guess, I think Microsoft actually is going to give the price first. Um, but we could actually potentially see this drawn out. You know, like I said, these companies, clearly they're afraid to commit to a price because I do think that both of them are afraid the other will undercut them. I think that mm. is a very real fear um, from both of them. So, so you could see this drug out throughout the summer, honestly. I would not be shocked. So, yeah, that was going to be my question. How late could they go? Yeah, well, you have to have a price to do pre-orders, you know? You, you right. have to have a price to, to do pre-orders. So they will have to get that price out there. Um you know, they'll probably are going to want to start pre-orders sometime later this summer. You know, I know I remember Phil Spencer was a guest on a uh, on a IGN podcast and they kind of asked him when, you know, the, the pre-orders were going to go up. And he said later this summer. So I'm thinking, you know, maybe sometime after that July first party event, you know, maybe Microsoft's targeting late July or early August to start pre-orders. I could see them waiting on a price until then. You know, I really could see most of the summer uh, still not knowing the price. I could be wrong. You know, maybe Sony comes out here with a shocker mm. and announces $399, you know, at, on, on June. Uh, but I'm just not expecting it. I think we're going to wait to get those prices till late summer. I guess if Sony announces the price first, they, they are confident that Microsoft won't undercut mm -hmm. them. Um, yeah. It, on the other hand, by uh, Patchter's argument, if they were planning on selling the, the Series X for $99 uh, and they want to sell it $399, it's $100 per console. You know, if they do that on the first $5 million, that's what, $500 mm -hmm. million for, for Microsoft? 
obviously it's a lot of money and i'm sure you know investors aren't go are are going to be like sure give that away but they could do it <laughs> and that would oh, yeah. kill that would like that would be incredible because i don't think sony would be able to go that low um no financially yeah financially there's no question if microsoft want to commit to it if they're if they're dead set we will undercut them they have the money you know no debate on that they mm. they have so much more money than sony sony's a much healthier console or i mean company now than they used to be you know whenever you look back at the end of the ps3 cycle you know sony as a company in general was really suffering they were in some big trouble back then they're much healthier now but they don't have anywhere near the resources microsoft do so yeah if they if they felt it was important enough you know if they could convince the the ceo to to go that route they could they definitely yeah. got the money to make it happen all right um let's talk a little bit about the uh states of play since last episode we've had two extended looks at uh big play the last big two playstation exclusives playstation 4 exclusives um ghost of tsushima last week and the la or a couple of weeks ago and the last of us part two this week um obviously we're not going to talk about anything spoilerish which they're really wasn't uh, in either of those. But um, just to get our feelings about it, the, the, the first one, Ghost of, Tsushima, Ghost of Tsushima, was a lot more interesting to me just because The Last of Us Part Two, which I'm very much anticipating and, and looking forward to, but it's just The Last of Us, it's a known quantity. It's The Last of Us better looking with a few tweaks. It's a, it's a sequel. Ghost of Tsushima, we really didn't have much uh to base our hopes and dreams on and there are a lot of really interesting things like the environmental ui like you're being guided by the wind or by a bird that comes to fly next to you or a, a fox that you can pet oh i want to pet foxes um the, the combat system looked pretty neat there was uh, at least in some version of it a lot of um Japanese like Kurosawa wasn't mentioned but he was all over that that presentation um <laughs> mm -hmm. the the standoff with one slice of the of the um did I talk about this last week I feel like I did last time but uh it was just so exciting and um I'm I'm like it feels like Assassin's Creed Japan which a lot of people have been uh saying I'm so into that idea I'm I'm completely in Uh, but yeah, what did you think about those two states of play? Yeah, so um, I agree that definitely I think Ghost of Tsushima looks really good. You know, I think that's going to be a really big, successful game for Sony. Um, like you said, it definitely gives those Assassin's Creed vibes while still doing its own thing. I was really love how they've kind of even mentioned some of the interviews, the developers that they've said they were kind of inspired by like Breath of the Wild and stuff in terms of exploration, mm. you know, and not having just tons of map markers everywhere, having the environment kind of lead you to new places. Like you mentioned the wind and stuff like that and animals. I think that's really cool and really, really interesting. So I think they did a great job of selling that game. I think it's going to be a really big success for them. And then uh, just my Even, other like, yeah, just just on on uh, that on the success, it's selling. It's going on sale the middle of summer. 
uh, when everyone's on vacation. Mm -hmm. I guess people are staying home for vacations this year <laughs> or more than usual. So maybe that plays into it. But isn't the middle of summer kind of a dead zone or it was traditionally yeah. a few years ago? You, re you still think this is going to be a big seller for them? Yeah, definitely. I still think it's going to, you know, you are 100% correct that typically the game industry is ironically different than the movie industry. Typically, the movie industry loves summer. They love it. Uh, all mm. those big tentpole Marvel films and everything, you know, you're seeing so many of them right in summer. You know, basically, the movie industry loves the end of May through early August, not necessarily late August, but those those few months there that you see so many giant tentpoles. And the gaming industry, interestingly, is the complete reverse. Summer's usually a complete dead spot. You get a couple big releases, but not a ton. But if you remember, um, the original The Last of Us launched in June, and that was a gigantic success. So oh, I did think it. That, yeah, uh, I didn't remember. Yeah, yep, mm. yep. That was a June release date. It was originally supposed to be earlier, but it got delayed. Um, and that did very well for Sony. So I think Sony's not too afraid of summer. You know, yes, it's typically not you know, anywhere near what we see during holiday or, or even the first three months of the year in sales. But I think there's not going to be much competition. People are going to be hungry for games. You know, whenever you look at the next few months, really, you have The Last of Us, Ghost of Tsushima, and not much else till September, you know, mm. when, once you get to like Avengers and Cyberpunk. So I think actually that uh, that's good for Last of Us and Ghost. They have very little competition, you know, very, very right. little. Um, and uh, yeah. then, yeah, just just one last comment on the uh, the general state of play. I think this has been a great win for Sony. You know, whenever state of play first started, I feel like people were pretty divisive on it. You know, a lot of people wanted it to be a bigger thing than it was. They were kind of announcing smaller games there. But I really think these past two deep dives where you just get a really in-depth look at one game. Uh, I think they've been really successful, and, and I really like that. I'd like to see them do this for like all their big AAA first-party games. Get these like deep dive gameplay state of plays. I really like it. Yeah, I I, I think it's uh, it's been very they've been very well received, and I wonder mm -hmm. how much of that or how close to that we're going to get with the PlayStation 5 presentation because of course the um, Xbox Series X first gameplay of next gen presentation a few weeks ago was a disappointment uh, they even yes. acknowledged that themselves and and i wonder if sony is going to say it, it reminds me of that was it two years ago or three years ago when their e3 presentation sony's e3 presentation was trailer 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 minimal marketing talk and everyone loved mm -hmm. it um mm -hmm. so i wonder if they, they're not being inspired by all of this and and how similar that playstation 5 thing is going to be of course they're going to show hopefully some console ui the box itself how it works but like show us exactly i don't want trailers anymore like un, not playable stuff a little bit of yeah. them sure but yeah We'll see. Yeah, that that Xbox event was their first real blunder. You know, that was the first Agreed. misstep Microsoft has made. You know, I, I was I was out there singing from the rooftops how uh, how good I thought Microsoft's marketing for Series X had been since they revealed that they'd been really out in the open. They'd been communicating clearly. I thought they were doing great. And then, yeah, that was a big blunder. So I think Sony probably learned from that. I'm sure they saw how bad feedback online was. Mm. And yeah, I, I think you'll see more longer gameplay chunks, 
you know, than, than what we saw there. Because I think yeah. Sony is well aware now, if, if there was any doubt after seeing the reception to that Xbox event, um, uh, that inside Xbox, I think they've definitely learned to, to avoid their, their missteps. I think I understand why I like your content so much. It's because we agree on, on almost everything. <laughs> I was saying, well, you're a great host. You're super knowledgeable. <laughs> I can tell you're great. You're doing awesome. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm loving the conversation. Um, all right. So uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, some games I've been playing. I, I gave, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a big fan of uh, Marvel's, especially MCU, but comics as well. And I was surprised to hear that most people seem to enjoy Iron Man VR, and I didn't, because I didn't think it could work. So I jumped on the demo when it was released last week. And long story short, it works. It's very surprising. It actually uh, gives you a pretty good feel of being Iron Man. There are a couple of times where you have to like extend your arm for the, you know, the 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 uh, hand part of the armor to find you as it does in the movies and and stuff like that. And it's like, oh my god! Like it's take it. It's reminded me how. VR can be magical after a few experiences where it was like a little bit kind of whatever. And I've tried, you know, Oculus Quest games and Oculus, regular Oculus games through the, the, the link functionality. And even though the hardware is notably less, uh, 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 it's lesser hardware by a mile, like the PSVR is much worse than everything else I've tried. The only times I've had a, a, a childlike grin on my face is when I've tried some of those uh, PlayStation exclusives and Iron Man, Iron Man VR demo is one of those. Now, that being said, I'm not going to get the full game. Um, so temper my enthusiasm <laughs> with that knowledge. Um, it's just, it's, it's good as a fun experience, but it's still that, you know, roller coaster ride or, or, like a uh, uh, experience that is fun for 30 minutes. I don't think I would want to shoot stuff with my repulsors for five hours. Um, there, there are just so many other good games I want to play. It's that first world, world problem of there's too much good stuff as it's been for the past couple of years or three years, too much good stuff. And I don't have enough time to play all the excellent stuff already. So I don't think I'm going to have enough time to play some stuff that's only really good you know so yeah that's that's awesome to hear it's good i haven't gotten a chance to try it but i'm also a huge marvel fan um i haven't gotten a chance to try the demo so it is cool to hear that it actually works uh, i'm i'm happy to hear that because when they announced it i thought it was a really cool announcement but it's one of those things vr is really hit or miss vr is either i feel like really awesome or pretty underwhelming so that's that is cool that's really good. I think VR is, is at its at its best leverages the the feeling of presence to yeah. in, instill some magic into making you feel like you're like more than a traditional video game, like you're doing something yourself that you're not supposed to. And and it works in Iron Man VR. And the good news is the demo is free, and it's it feels like there wouldn't be enough in the full game to top what's happening in the demo. So the demo is really all you need, <laughs> and it's like half an hour. Um, yeah. I also tried Minecraft Dungeons, which was underwhelming. I, I'm not going to 
belabor the point. It was, it's got everything, like it's got a checklist of everything that you need to make a uh, fun ARPG, except it doesn't gel together. The graphics are fun. The the aesthetics of Minecraft are, uh, uh, you know, it's faithful to that. It doesn't have some of the, it doesn't have any crafting element, which some people have derided, but I don't mind too much. It's not that kind of game. The The problem I have, I was uh, uh, streaming a little bit, which I never do, but I did this week. Um, and one of the viewers was saying, the, the, the moves don't feel like they have any kind of impact. And it, mm -hmm. they put their finger on what was the problem there. In a Diablo-like game, you have to feel like the moment-to-moment -moment gameplay, the 30-seconds the loop of your last cooldown, like it, the, the moves, the attacks have to feel meaty. And this just felt flat. Everything was flat. It was fun enough, but it was flat and it felt like very repetitive. And so... Um, it's it's only 20 bucks and it's probably the only ARPG you can play with your kids, which is fitting <laughs> because Minecraft is attractive to kids. So in that sense, maybe it's got value there. But for a player, for a gamer like me, it was a little bit disappointing. Uh, it's on Game Pass, so I could get it for quote unquote free. So that's fine. But yeah, it was a bit disappointing. Yeah. That's a, that's a bummer. I have it downloaded through Game Pass, but I haven't gotten a chance to jump in yet. So that's a bit of a bummer, but I've kind of heard that. You know, I think it mm -hmm. also got kind of mediocre reviews too, so. Yeah, it's not, it, it's definitely not great. Everyone's agreeing on that. Um, it's also had some network issues and that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, again, maybe for kids, it, it could be their first ARPG uh Diablo and all of their clones all of Diablo's clones are gruesome so you don't really have an option if you <laughs> like that kind of game and and it's simple <laughs> enough it's fun but um yeah anything you you've been playing that uh you you'd want to mention so, or do we switch to the the quick tidbits of news um yeah I'll just really quick just say I'm uh, I'm finally playing through Assassin's Creed Origins the Assassin's Creed Valhalla announcement you know got my hype up for assassin's creed i'd played odyssey and loved it but i completely skipped origins for some reason i don't even remember why but i had never played it um i'm playing it right now i'm really enjoying it i think egypt's a great setting bayek is an awesome assassin i would just say if, if anyone skipped assassin's creed origins and you're feeling that assassin's creed excitement you know maybe go back to that one it's pretty pretty awesome so far for me i went back to uh odyssey and finished it uh i hadn't done the last leg of the three quests um and uh, again the, the just like you the valhalla excitement got me i started watching both the last kingdom and vikings the tv shows <laughs> at the same time i'm, I'm all in for uh valhalla uh but I, I, yeah it looks so good yeah i'm i'm like five hours into origins i played it when it first released is it still cool if you've played through odyssey and like that or is it does it lack some of the uh aspects that that made um uh, odyssey fun and attractive or or you know what what would you say to someone who loved odyssey about origins i still think it's definitely worth going back to that was one of my questions too i actually asked on twitter because i was like i, I didn't know really too many people who had played both mm. Um, so I actually asked, I was like, is origin still worth going back to? And, and the overwhelming feedback I got was yes. So I went ahead and bought it. 
I'm, I think so. You know, I played Odyssey a while back, so I have that gap. You know, I don't think it would be as fun to play them like very close to each other. You know, I had kind of beaten Odyssey a while ago. So for me, it's definitely worth it. The Egypt setting is, is a lot different than Odyssey's is. You know, it has quite a bit of a different setting. And also the story is very different. You know, um, I love Cassandra and mm. Odyssey. I'm a huge fan of her story. But Bayek's story is very, very different. Um, so I do think it's worth it. I would say if you just beat Odyssey recently, you know, for someone that just played Odyssey, mm. maybe wait. You know, I, I think you might get burned out if you play them very close to each other. But if it's been a while, you know, I think it's I think you're OK. All right. Good to know. Well, I, I'm still going to have um, Assassin's Creed Japan to get through in July. So maybe <laughs> yeah, it's true. not. Uh... <laughs> All right, let's get through um, a few tidbits of news. Uh, new paper, paper Mario was announced for July, which was just Nintendo just dropping it as a trailer, and that's it. And they said they're not <laughs> going to have any Nintendo Directs for basically the summer, which was a little bit of a surprise. Um, Street Fighter V is getting a fifth season, which I didn't see coming. I thought they were done, and mm -hmm. we were going to see... Street Fighter 6, which I would be very excited about if we saw that for the next gen. Um, Microsoft mm -hmm. Flight Simulator is coming in, in closed beta mid-July. So get your uh, uh, jet engine PCs running because that's going to be what's needed. Valorant <laughs> is launching June 2nd. Uh, Fast and Furious <laughs> Crossroads is one of the biggest mysteries in, in games. They have like a release date. I don't even know what it is because I watched the trailer and my feelings from last year's E3 were confirmed. It's like, <laughs> why? Um, <laughs> Bioware, this is really interesting. Bioware is has said that Anthem is going to have a very, very long uh, uh, remake process or not remake, but overhaul. So we're not going to see Anthem anytime soon, uh, which was a little bit disappointing or, or Anthem's overhaul. It was a little bit disappointing. I thought it would be cool to see that game <laughs> done well but i guess if they have to revamp so much of it it's going to take time um and i want to talk about the the streaming news game streaming news we have as well but let's leave that for uh in just a second before that among all of those bits of news from paper mario street fighter 5 flight simulator valorant and a bunch of others uh is there anything that um strikes you as particularly interesting or uh that you have something to um say about I'd say the one that that definitely stands out the most to me in terms of like, you know, the metrics that's putting up online or Paper Mario. You know, that game is is getting a ton of attention on social media. The trailer on YouTube blew up. Uh, the Twitter announcement got a ton of attention. Um, I, I think that's Nintendo one of the fans... things you track, uh, the, the views on trailers yep. and things like that. So that metric is really significant for you, right? It definitely is. You know, I, I always caution you know, there's not a one to one ratio. You can't say, hey, this game's getting a lot of YouTube views, so it's 100 percent going to sell amazing. You know, they're not exactly in step, but I definitely track all that stuff as closely as I can, because what it does give you is it gives you a very clear indication of just overall Uh, you know, how many people it's reaching, which is important for sales. You know, a, a mm. big factor in sales is marketing, you know, marketing reach. So if if a game, you know, is doing very low numbers on YouTube, not a lot of Twitter engagement, you know, 
again, it's not always, but generally that is not a good sign. But whenever you see something blowing up, for example, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, the most watched Ubisoft announcement ever, over 100 million views, you know, that's that, those are staggering numbers. There's not a doubt in my mind Valhalla is going to be gigantic. Mm. Um, so, so I do keep a close track on that. You know, I don't try to write everything off on that, but I definitely think it's worth paying attention to for sure. And I know a lot of companies do as well. Like I said, Ubisoft in their earnings um, for this last fiscal year, they specifically noted the views that uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla was getting. So it's definitely something the industry looks at. And uh, yeah, Paper Mario is doing great metrics for Nintendo. You know, I, we've kind of hit this. I always joke. People ask me on Twitter all the time, you know, how do you think this game's going to sell? How do you think that game's going to sell? And, and my go to statement for Nintendo is it's going to break the franchise record. And I know that sounds funny, <laughs> but every single Nintendo first party Switch game's doing it. You know, Sword and Shield, biggest Pokemon launch ever. By Mario a mile Odyssey, as well. That... Yeah, by, by a mile. Mario Odyssey, best selling 3D Mario ever. Zelda Breath of the Wild, best selling Zelda ever. It's like, it's like not even close. Switch mm. just sells so many games so i think paper mario is going to be the biggest one they've ever had for paper mario so i've just noticed that game's getting a lot of attention kind of surprisingly because like you said there was no direct or anything it was almost like a low-key announcement um, but it's doing great numbers on social media what do you make of nintendo's uh, strategy announcements like they have paper mario uh, by the way the name is is uh, the origami king coming in july um but then they don't have directs they've told partners just go mm. ahead and announce stuff because we're not doing a direct um they they what what can we are, are they just hiding a little bit or staying quiet keeping their their big guns for when the next gen uh, uh the next gen storm has passed and then they'll come out strong in 2021 again or do you think they're hiding stuff and that they're going to announce stuff for the end of the year i can't i can't i mean we have those mario 3d rumors the remakes um that are mm. certainly you know we should take into account but is that it they don't have a, a big marquee title for the end of the year Yeah, you know, I, I actually don't think they do. I think 2020 is going to be a bit of a low-key release year for Switch. You know, outside of the beginning of the year, you know, Animal Crossing was gigantic. But when you look at the rest of the year, you know, I'm, I'm expecting Xenoblade to do well. But again, well for a Xenoblade game would be like 2 million. We're not talking about like a crazy 10, 20 million unit selling game. You know, when you look at Paper Mario, I think it's going to do well. But again, it's not going to do like a uh, like a Zelda or a 3D Mario Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure what's going on there, but I think something in their development pipeline is just not lining up. Uh, I'm not sure what happened. Uh, I don't know if a big part of it is the pandemic impact, but definitely I think this is going to be a fairly low key year for Nintendo compared to some years. Um, but you do know they have a lot on the, on the docket, you know, they've got Metroid prime coming. They've got the breath of the wild sequel coming. They got Bayonetta three. So I think next year is going to look much, much better, but yeah, it does seem to me like this year's probably going to be a pretty low key, uh, year mm -hmm. for Nintendo. I mean, they could drop the, the breath of the wild to, by the end of the year by announcing it you know late summer or early mm -hmm. fall um 
It would be, a, it feels to me, and I don't know anything, but it, it seemed to me like such a big game, it would be a waste to release it in the middle of the release of the next-gen console. So it's much mm-hmm. better to keep it for early next year. And let's be honest, if they just, I'm going to buy all the Mario 3D remakes they, they released. Yeah, <laughs> yeah same. So, uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, Mario 3D World is one of the best Mario games ever. And I've been saying that to everyone since you know the wii u days when no one would play it because no one had a wii u so yeah uh, yeah that i won't you know uh, uh they won't be hurting too much i think even without a big no that, they'll be they'll be all right switches switch is at the point now where it's like it's so strong it has its own momentum like it doesn't yeah. really need individual games to carry it anymore you yeah. know it, it's kind of just reached that state where the switch itself sells itself <laughs> All right, last uh, bit that I wanted to discuss. I'll leave aside the hand tracking coming to Oculus Quest, which is cool, but everything I've seen of it so far feels like like low quality demos. Like not in the graphics, but just the gameplays are, oh, we can track your hands. Let's do the hand tracking, the first hand tracking thing gimmick that we could think of, which is usually magic. Uh, and let's do that as a game, which oh, they all look the same. Like there are three games that I l- watched the trailers for. I couldn't tell you which one is which, which I'm sorry for the developers. I apologize, but that's just how it felt. Um, the Tenet trailer premiering in in um, in Fortnite is just another confirmation of how big that game is. And uh, we could discuss that at some point if you want to. But the big thing I want to talk about is NVIDIA announcing that they have um, changed the way they do uh, GeForce Now, their game streaming service, and they're going to only have games from publishers that agree to be on the service, which it was a long time coming. Every publisher, it seems every big publisher that probably has other plans for game streaming (laughs) has been asking them to remove their games from the service. So the service is a lot less interesting now, even though it's still a a pretty cool thing. And the other thing is uh, Serious Sam 3, or 4 rather, is not coming to PS4 or Xbox One until 2020 because it's an exclusive with Google Stadia, which, I mean, it's cool that Google Stadia, that Google finally understands they need exclusives in order to propel their service, but also it doesn't really reverse the mind-bogglingly inept uh, strategy (laughs) that they have put in place. Even myself, as a cheerleader for that service before it, you know, it, it started coming out and, and being as bungled as it was, I, you know, it seems like, sure, it's cool, but we're still a long way away from Stadia being a, a, a valid a valid competition, especially with xCloud and probably something coming from Sony at some point uh, uh, being prepared. But uh, in general, your, your thoughts on these two things and and game streaming um i'm curious to know what you think yeah um for in regards to the serious sam thing first I'll, the only thing i'll say to that is i i hope they got a lot of money for that exclusivity <laughs> um, because i'm not uh you know i'm not uh, i don't try to be a stadia basher you know I, I totally get what they're trying to do um but you know the reality is the service just hasn't quite taken off i think how how they were hoping it was going to so uh, definitely, it's nice that Serious Sam will come later, but I just do hope they got a nice chunk of money um, for that exclusivity for the developers. 
Um, and then because you're like saying general... what you're implying yeah, is that they're not going to sell a lot on Stadia, right? Yeah, I agree. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's just not going to sell a lot there. So I hope they got a lot of money. Um, in regards to streaming, you know, I think like many, many, many people that look at the industry, I definitely think streaming is going to be a very big deal. The question is just when, you know, is that a mm. big deal in the next five years? Is it a big deal in the next 10 years? You know, eventually we will 100% get there. I don't believe we're going to reach a point where no one buys consoles anymore. You know, I don't right. think that's any time in the near future, but I do think we'll hit a point where streaming is a very big chunk of the market, you know, where a lot of people are streaming. Um, I'm less bullish on it in the next five years than some are. You know, I know some people that think, oh, within five years, this is just going to be absolutely gigantic. I'm not quite there yet. I think we're more in the next 10 years where it becomes really, really big. You know, I think you will see some success over the next five, but not uh, not like a ubiquitous, you know, just tons and tons and tons of people. I'd be shocked if that happens in the next five years. Um, yeah, I but think we are within... moving that way. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just saying, you know, I, I definitely think we're moving that way. I think xCloud in particular is going to be very big. I actually think right. Microsoft has a potential huge success there. Um, you know, there's not many things that I, in terms of business, like sales-wise, put Microsoft ahead of the curve of Sony on. This would be one of them. You know, I think that I think xCloud is going to be very big. Obviously, PS Now has been out for longer, which offers streaming. So Sony, you know, was there before Microsoft. but xCloud just seems to have very positive buzz around it. Having Game Pass work you know, seamlessly with xCloud, I do think that Microsoft has some really big potential there. I think they're going to be possibly the strongest player in streaming very soon. Yeah, it would make sense. It fits so well. It aligns so well with everything else that the company is doing. And uh, mm -hmm. I could totally see within the next five years or even a little bit less when the, the, the because we've, we know that for people who have the right type of connection, the technical aspect works. Now we, we know that. Mm -hmm. So the, the other brick is the commercial offering aspect. And I could absolutely see even, you know, core gamers using uh, streaming intermittently, like to, to try out a game that they don't want to download or mm. to, to play a game as the thing is downloading in the background or, you know, like supplemental use, I think could enter the lives of gamers very quickly. I mean, even be, be before five years, of course, you need to have the connection, but the convenience aspect mm. of it for some uses is it, it trumps the issues that you're going to have with your uh, uh, fidelity of the game, even though you're, most of the people are, are the core gamers are still going to want to have the silicon at home to have the best possible pixel fidelity. But for some users, I could absolutely see it happening relatively soon. But um, mm, that's a great, you know, that is actually a very, very great point. It could be that I'm underselling it. That That is absolutely possible that, that maybe I'm being a little too harsh on streaming because the way you're phrasing it there, like as a, as a supplemental uh, thing, you know, I'm kind of thinking of it more as like how many people are going to be just heavily engaged on streaming, like all the time, you know, that that's kind of where my mind goes to. Cause I do think you will see some people like that in the next 10 years sure. that don't buy consoles. You know, I do actually for that, especially in emerging markets. Um, so that's kind of where my brain goes to, but, but I think you actually have a really good point there and maybe something I'm not considering enough 
is like you said, the the more like supplemental where where you're just accessing it for for brief periods of time. Uh, you know, you you very well could be right on that. Right. I'm I'm the I think when you see Game Pass, there are so many games that you would think like it's it's ridiculous. That the that's the argument I've been developing on the show before, but so apologies to the people who have already heard it. But we we live in a world where even the act of going to your your uh, cabinet and taking a disc to put it in your console is too much of a hassle. Mm -hmm. So we'd rather download it from the, from, from the <laughs> internet, you know? And so in that world where you have a million games of, on Game Pass, you browse and you're like, oh, that one I would want to give it a try, but I don't want to wait mm. a, an hour and a half to download it and install it and then manage my, my storage on my disc. I'll, you know, I can stream it for 10 minutes. It starts immediately and I g get to know at least if I'm interested or not. I think there's definitely use uh, there. So, yeah. We'll yeah. See. No, you're convincing me. You're absolutely convincing me. <laughs> I'm not just saying that. I, 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 kid, I kid you not. It's funny. It is funny because I was just in a conversation on Discord last night talking about streaming with some salespeople. And mm -hmm. it is funny because uh, I, I kind of was stating my stance how I did here. But I think you, I think you're on to something. I think that supplemental thing actually like you said, within five years, that, that could be very big. I think I was looking at it more too broad, too, mm. too, uh, too big picture, maybe not enough small picture. Well, uh, if nothing else on this show, I will have the pride to have uh, made a, a convincing argument to Benji. So uh, <laughs> there's an achievement there. Uh, and that's going to be the end of the show. Thank you so much, Benji, for, for being with me and going through that wonderful, wonderful adventure of gaming news today. Um, would you tell people where they can find more of you if they want uh, after the show? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks again for having me on. It was a great conversation. I, I really, really enjoyed being on. So thank you so much. Um, the, the best places to find me are going to be on Twitter at Benji sales. You know, that's where I'm the most active. I'm on Twitter a lot. You know, I'm posting pretty much every single day talking about the video game industry sales and just general gaming as well. It's a bit of a mix. You know, my specialty is of course the sales and business side, but I do just talk general gaming as well. So at Benji sales on Twitter, but also on YouTube, um, you know, I do do the live chat, you know, I do it about once to twice a week. I try to get two in a week now, most weeks. Um, it's really, really fun. Uh, we stream usually for about an hour or so on YouTube at, you know, which is just Benji sales. And, and we have a really good dialogue there. You know, we're, we're having an increased number of, of people that are jumping into the streams and, and we really break down things like NPD and, and just general gaming talk. So those will be the two best ways to get a hold of me. Excellent. And as I said, if, if you enjoyed our conversation here, this is essentially a, a condensed version of what you get on uh, the live chat on YouTube. So uh, go check that out if you like this. And uh, shout out to SplitEnd89, who yes, Splitend. <laughs> <laughs> and all of the people who ask questions. I say that genuinely because I enjoyed listening to the answers. So thank you all for asking the questions. Um, yeah, yeah, great questions there. Great, great, great indeed. questions. I'm not Patrick on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. If you want to check out my life in the countryside, but also a little bit of news here and there, Instagram is the place to do it. Uh, it's summer now in Finland. It's finally summer, and I get wonderful Ooh. pictures there. <laughs> um, also, Frenchspin.com if you want to comment on the episode. And uh, that's going to be it. If you uh, enjoyed the show, you can find us uh, on your podcast app if you're not subscribed already 
please uh, consider subscribing. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks for the next episode. Thank you so much, Benji, and talk to you soon. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.